Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Tulsa World Opinion video podcast. I'm Jenny Graham, the editorial's editor, and I am here with the Oklahoma Labor Commissioner, Leslie Osborne. Welcome. Hello. And she has written an op-ed this weekend that deserves a lot of attention. It's one of those op-eds that I read and cheered because it just, it, it spoke to me, and I think it will speak to a lot of Oklahomans. And I don't want to give too much away because everyone should read it and think about it. And I, that's what I liked about it. It was thought-provoking. And, and is this fair? It basically says we need to get back to governing real problems, real issues that we know of, not perceived, and stop campaigning, start governing. I mean, it's a lot deeper than that, but is that a fair yeah, That's summation? a perfect synopsis. And I think that it stands out to me because I served in the legislature prior to being labor commissioner. So for 10 years, and I've just watched the trajectory over these 14 years of the things we addressed and of the rhetoric and of the polarization. And we've kind of forgotten is my belief what our true role of state legislators or state government is. And it was kind of a, a wake up call, hopefully to let's try to get back to what we, we should be focusing on. So what prompted you to write it? Was there something like some legislation that came up, or is this something that's been growing? I mean, what was it? Because this is, you're putting yourself out there. This is a, this is not the, the normal Republican uh, line that we're used to hearing. Now, you're correct. And I think that's because, <clears throat> and um, I remember my grandfather saying this years ago, all four of my grandparents were uh, Southern Democrats that uh, made it through the Depression and they loved FDR and all that. But I remember as my grandfather, who I was very close to, got to the end of his life, he said, I feel like my party's left me. And I never really understood what that meant until the last few years. And when I came into the House 14 years ago and then the Labor Commissioner four years ago, I feel like my party has drifted now. And so I guess that's not an uncommon thing. But what I came in for was to hopefully make Oklahoma a little better place than when, I, than when I started. And I believe the role of state government is to provide the fabric that allows a society to function and its citizens to flourish. And as I was at the uh, Labor Department this week, what we do is pull all the bills that are filed. There's over 3,000. We go through them in multiple ways to catch things on wages or labor or you know FMLA, all the things that would affect that. And we just kept noticing how many social issue bills there were. And it was overwhelming. I mean, it, it feels like half the bills filed are to save our souls. And I believe America was founded on the separation of church and state, that those are issues we used to leave to personal freedoms and they were discussed at church and with families and at the dinner table and in the backyard. And they were left to them. And now we're seeming to wanna to legislate every facet of our lives. And the irony there is that the Republicans used to be known as the party of smaller government. And I feel like we've gotten so far away from that. I just felt like I needed to sit down at my laptop and start typing. So because this is different, and I've always kind of felt like, and I've been frustrated and tired of sort of the fringe leading, and, and it goes on both ends, particularly nationally, but in Oklahoma, you know, even the Democrats we have don't seem to be 
the the liberals that you would see they're not nancy pelosi they're 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 just not we're oklahoma i call Um, them dan boren democrats who i loved when he was in congress and was a very conservative voting member of the democrat party and when you look at the leadership in the house and the senate cindy munson Kay floyd these are great women sharp women they are not uh, east coast liberals like you said they're really more they're closer to what we would have defined as that Dan Boren or a conservative, uh, I mean, or a more liberal Republican. But we've been taught by national rhetoric to, to detest and not work with anyone that doesn't think exactly like us. And those litmus tests are tearing us apart. So when you came into the House years ago, what was the split at that point between the parties? It was very close and it was meant that that was a time where we got a lot done. I came in the last two years of the Brad Henry administration and then the eight years of Fallon, which really weren't that different because they were both centrists and the Senate was still held by the Democrats, but just by a vote or two. The Republicans, we had maybe a five or 10 vote um, majority, but that meant we had to work together across the aisle good solutions. We'd sit down in working groups, hear all the different opinions and hammer out middle of the road decisions that everyone could live with. Those days are gone now, but to to history's credit, I believe it was that way 80 years ago in Oklahoma when every statewide elected and a legislator was a Democrat. And it was shocking when Henry Bellman won. So it's kind of that same thing now, but with it, we've added something that's more dangerous, and that's the rhetoric of national talking points through what I believe are not national news organizations on the left and right, like Fox News and MSNBC. I believe they're entertainment. And it's skewing us. It's making us angrier. Everybody seems to be simmering all the time. If you don't think like me, look like me, worship like me, love like me, you're wrong. And I just wasn't raised that way. And that's a frustration on my end, too, because when I see those type of programs, I look at it, whether it's Rachel Maddow or Tucker Carlson, you know, Hannity, they are editorialist. Mm-hmm. And in a newspaper, that would be under opinion. And you would know that, yeah, there might be, there are facts in there, you know, sometimes not facts when I see some of what they're saying, but that's clear who they are. And I think when we're seeing that on television, that is, that line is blurred and people don't understand what they're in hearing. Right. And, and along and along with that, you know, I'm from a, a small town, uh, Perry, Oklahoma, and we used to have a daily newspaper. It came to our door and we had, you know, a woman who sat in every city council meeting, every school board meeting. So people were really connected to the news. Well, that's not there anymore. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these small towns and I'm and I'm sort of in a way fearful, but more concerned, maybe is a better word, that the lack of local news means that void gets filled with that national that's my theory. I mean, what, how do you think we got here? How did, you know, you, you look at that, the, the divisiveness going on in looking at where the Republican party is at. I think there's a, a tear, you know, some, mm-hmm. some not tear, but, or infighting, whatever the word is. How do you think we got here? Uh, a couple of things. And, and I agree exactly with what you said. And I'm going to date myself that I remember when my parents used to listen to Walter Cronkite. And that was the news. And we revered the news and we wanted to be caught up on what was going on locally, nationally and internationally. I think what happened to our oldest generation and others is what we feared Nintendo would do to our kids. So if you're, I think we're roughly the same age. When my kids got their first Nintendo, everybody's like, oh, 
This is going to suck their brains out. They'll never think the same. Too much screen time. So, of course, we had like a timer, an egg timer, one hour a day, you know, and then you had to go play outside. It didn't do that. We monitored. The older generation, the same things happened in that they always thought the news was safe, right? And you were a good citizen if you watched the news while you're reading at the dinner table. But it was a 30-minute program. So now we have people that retire and turn on Fox News or MSNBC. Let's go either direction. And they've got it on in the background 12 hours a day with about three minutes of news an hour and 57 minutes of angry pundits telling you how to think. And it's bombastic and it's polarizing and it's nasty. So if you watch MSNBC, you believe that every Republican baby is born in a red state and handed an assault rifle to use as soon as they're old enough for their nimble fingers to handle the trigger. And in, if you watch uh, Fox News, you believe that every woman aborts her own baby, Democrat woman, at nine months. And I can tell you that both of those are absolutely ridiculous, but I'm not exaggerating. That's the kind of thing. And then add in people that put a podcast button in their ear for six hours a day, talk radio driving down the road, it's almost impossible to find an OETA or an NPR. It's just these polarized opinions loosely using facts and spewing anger. And both parties have started realizing the way to get their membership and to keep it strong is to scare the hell out of them. And that's not healthy. And the only way I can imagine us ever changing it is for us to be the change and to say no more to this and we've got to turn those things off and get back to the family dinner table, get back to healthy conversations. And I really don't see another way for us to progress past this horrifying situation I believe we're in nationally. You know, I meant to say earlier that, you know, I'm tired of the, the fringes leading these debates and conversations. And I've also been frustrated that there aren't people, uh, leaders kind of speaking up to those ends. And that's where you are what you're doing. And, and thank you for that, because I know that you're probably going to get pushback. I mean, what do you, what do you, what are you expecting? Because I've seen, you know, you have Liz Cheney that had, was voted out of office, but then you have right. others in Arizona that they do that and they're rewarded. So, right. I mean, what do you think might happen? In a state this red, I will get pushback. I'll get pushback from some of my Republican colleagues that will call me a rhino. Republican in name only, or maybe that she's woke. Uh, if you've ever looked up the definition of woke, I never really thought those were bad things. To me, it means that you're aware that everyone didn't grow up just like you, that people are of different races, different genders, different uh, religions, and that that meant that we could coexist. I, I never thought of it as a quote unquote bad word, but that's what I'll get called. And then on the other hand, more comfortingly, I would imagine I'll get a lot of calls from people that think like me that say, oh my God, thank you, because nobody's saying this stuff. And they're not saying it because they're scared of re-election, because the electorate that comes out in a closed party state with straight party voting wants to see the litmus test that we all think identically. And I don't want to do that. I, I never have wanted to do it, and I don't want to do it anymore. So call it brave or foolhardy, either one. Um, I, it felt like the right thing to do. So, so you mentioned the the closed party, and I, that kind of always, always irritated me because as taxpayers, we're all paying for these primaries for for both, and yet, you know, I don't get to vote. In I'm an independent, so um, you know, either way. But I guess I can vote in the Democrats in some some, but not in others. But how do you feel about 
changes like opening up the primaries or, uh, you know, different, there are diff different states are doing different things to try to, you know, encourage more voter turnout. And frankly, Oklahoma has, I think, the lowest voter turnout right now. Mm -hmm. So, you know, what, what are your thoughts on, on those kind of ideas that would break through that, you know, mm -hmm. trends that's sort of leading this? Nationally, we're seeing a big push towards ranked choice voting or open primaries and uh, away from straight party voting. It's my understanding there's only six states in the nation that still do straight party voting. And if you listen to the experts and um, and really watch what we see with the results, I believe it's true that it dumbs down our electorate. If all you know that you have to do is go in and check the box at the top of your ballot, you have no reason to educate yourself on the issues or the candidates. Um, and, and if we're not doing that, shame on us, because the, ultimately all of this depends on the people at the ballot box. But if we didn't have straight party, then everybody would not be disenfranchised. So you as an independent are able to vote in a Democrat ballot, but not a Republican one. Most of, I would say 80% of the races in the state are decided before you will ever get to make a decision. And that's really not fair. I believe that means you as an independent have been disenfranchised. Uh, an open ballot would be the most simplified form would be that everybody gets the same ballot uh, at the primary, and then the top two go on to the general, whether that is two D's, two R's, two I's, two L's, and or vice or or any combination of the above. But by doing that, in most states that have the most extreme on the left and the right are not as successful. It saves the state money. You don't have runoffs. It, uh, we already have one of the best voting systems in the United States of election integrity. No touch screens, you know, paper ballots to back up. Every time we do a, uh, a recount, it's almost identical. It's always within the margin of error. So I think it would be something that would modernize our voting system without taking away that integrity, but also might have that benefit of not allowing the fringe to, to make the main decisions. And we're at a point you saw it with Kevin McCarthy and the speakership in, at the U.S. House and in Oklahoma. A lot of times we will be held at, you know, we can't get enough votes for the reasonable things. So we'll have to negotiate to hear 42 abortion bills. OK, what else can we legislate on abortion? I mean, I'm just honestly, whether you're pro-life or pro-choice, and that's not even making a comment on what we are. My Lord, we pass Dozens of them a year. So many get thrown out in court. At some point, are we ever going to get back to quality teachers in the classroom, good infrastructure, mental health care access? That's what we should be working on. And that does bring up, how does some of this affect what you're trying to accomplish? Because I know as labor commissioner, you have certain goals you want to reach. Even as a lawmaker, you probably had things you wanted to champion. Mm -hmm. How do these you know, wedge issue bills get in the way of accomplishing those things? They take the time. So when you only have a four month session and that's that's in our constitution, the first Monday in February to the last Friday in May is the longest you can go. When you file over 3000 bills for 149 people to look at, that takes time. And when over half of the time is taken up with angry rhetoric and bills that are debated all day long, you push those other issues to the side. So as labor commissioner, what we're looking at is enough warm bodies to fill the jobs that are workforce ready. So what we should be focusing on to help our economy, to help our families thrive and our individuals is the perfect pipeline from pre-K to career tech or college to get people ready for the jobs they should with the best educators in the classroom. We pay 
substandard wages. We treat our teachers with disrespect, with national rhetoric that they're all liberal indoctrinators and pedophiles and groomers. Why would they stay? We're not focusing on the things that will change our trajectory and our children's trajectory. And that's the main thing. Then also when we for instance, last year at the very end of session, the legislature at the governor's behest passed a massive tax incentive package to get Panasonic to move thousands of jobs to northern Oklahoma. They would have started, I believe, at $65,000 a pop without a whole lot of training. Career tech was ready, and we it was down to us in Kansas. So one week later, session is out. And Panasonic put something out on their national website that it was Pride Week and that they that they appreciated all their employees, no matter who they loved. Sounds reasonable. This is 2023, right? And immediately, a dozen of our legislators fired off a nasty letter to Panasonic and on an official letterhead and said, do not come to our state. If you would appreciate a gay employee, we don't want you in Oklahoma. We lost those jobs the next day to the state of Kansas. Now, do we know 100% sure that that's why? No, but it is. And, and uh, the timing was just too coincidental. And we do that every day. We have these multinational corporations, Amazon to Boeing to, to all these, they're not going to stay if we make them uncomfortable. Their kids don't have safe healthcare and, and school access. If they don't have good roads and bridges, we have forgotten what we need to do to make us thrive. And, and that those are the kind of stories that I wish more leaders like yourself would stand up and say, this is hurting us. This right. is hurting your bottom line and holding us back because, right. you know, I, I grew up here. I'm a fifth generation. I don't want to leave here. I don't want my kids to leave here. But, you know, if these kind of issues are stopping right. you know, economic prosperity, then that that is a harsh bottom line. And, and I don't see any way they're not. Yeah. It, it's just there's too much proven evidence. And when these bombastic bills are filed, they inevitably, one or two a week, make the New York Times or the Washington Post or look what they want to do in Oklahoma. And all I can envision is the CEO of some multinational corporation that was thinking about moving an auto parts manufacturer to Durant or wherever saying, you know what, I was down to three states, but I am tired of hearing about this stuff. It sounds like all they do is argue and fight down there. And it matters. I mean, I just, I don't understand how people don't get that. Now, if we want to keep doing nothing but trying to save people's souls and forget about the other things, which I have no problem with people saving people's souls in a pulpit on Sunday, right? Then we just need to be prepared for there to be no jobs left in this state except Walmart, Jiffy Lubes, and call centers. And if that's what we're good with for ourselves and our children, then we are on the right track. So you mentioned, you know, all the bills, and it seems like every year there's a story of, you know, record number of bills filed. Half of them are these, like you were talking about, you know, 42 abortion bills that we've already legislated, you know, out of the state, seems like. But are there some changes at the legislature that we need to consider or, um, you know, because other states, you know, their legislatures run differently. Texas, they meet every other year, pass a budget every other year. What are your thoughts on those ideas that are thrown out? A couple of times when I was serving in the legislature, that came up because Texas, I believe, is one and a couple others that in particular will do a financial session, nothing but the budget one year and everything else the next year. And there are some other things like there may be a fix that court clerks need. There may be something that changes with how we do online taxation. I mean, there's other things that obviously need to be addressed that aren't just the budget. 
But I will say that Oklahoma makes it very difficult to do that. And it's because we're driven, two of our top four or five indicators are very volatile and cyclical, and that would be the oil and gas industry and agriculture. So when a lot of your money is going to come in and things that are very cyclical, it's hard to project out budgets on a two-year basis. So that's why we've tended to never do that. Some states that are purely manufacturing, purely whatever, have a lot more even keel, you know, unless you have something like a recession nationally. It's harder for us to do that. And then I always say, look what we did during special session this year, which was supposed to be a very short few days to do nothing but distribute billions of dollars to projects we've needed to do for years, mental health beds, all these kind of things. And we even made that social because at the last minute we said, OU Medical wouldn't get their money if they ever did transgender affirming care for a minor. And it became a whole day of hot rhetoric and angry voices. And we couldn't even get a fiscal issue through without that. And, and I'm not saying that people shouldn't have opinions on these things, but we've got to remember back in the times of our parents and grandparents, we didn't legislate those things. Uh, and I, I still think that that was going to might get us in trouble because we're taking federal money and putting a state morality right clause to it. And I just don't, I don't know. I don't think a that's lot, a lot of times we see those things, you know, turned over at the Supreme Court at some level. Now, a far right would tell you that's because we have liberal activist judges. That's not the answer. It's yeah. because we're not following the Constitution. We have three branches of government. We have oversight. We have all kinds of things and mm -hmm. some things truly are just not constitutional, whether we like them or dislike them. Oh, I've always said when legislators get mad that something's overturned, I'm like, well, stop, stop <laughs> passing unconstitutional bills. And they, they won't do that. So right. I, I wanted to kind of pivot just a little bit um, because you are the rare woman who has served in uh, elected office because Oklahoma ranks the seventh worst now for uh, female representation at the legislature. And I think you're only one of three women in the statewide elected office. And so we're still, as women, you know, not represented even close to, to, to what we are in the population. What has been your experience as a woman um, lawmaker in Oklahoma? So when I came in, in 2008, there were uh, 11 women out of 149 legislators. That's a tiny percentage. And I think it's almost up to 30 now, which is better. But I'm a firm believer that you never have true representation if it doesn't match your demographic. So in other words, we need to have, you know, surprisingly, women are 50% of the population. <laughs> yes. And we should have the kind of representation that, that meets our demographic as far as black and white, gay and straight, man and woman. And then you have true representation that we don't have that right now. Now, I will say this. A lot of times people say, well, a woman can't get elected in a red state. I don't think that's true. I think it's that women don't run. Whenever I see a quality candidate who is the best one for the job who is a woman, that's not the issue. What it is is usually the reluctance of women to run. And I think it's more common if you'll look at it across the nation in red states that are more uh, traditional uh, Bible Belt states. It's the woman's job to raise the children. Well, that could take us out of the market for quite a while. We notice that in the labor markets as well. And, uh, and But if, say, we lived in Seattle or Boston, that's not as big of a consideration because there it's migrated more to a shared responsibility. No one would go up to a young man with three children in grade school and say, oh, you're running for the legislator? Who'll take care of the children? But we do that to women every day, and it's almost an unconscious shaming 
so I think we have to get past that because it's not any different than having another job working at the bank or, or selling insurance or whatever. But I think that what we need to do is encourage sharp young women and more people of color to run because that's how we change things. And the other way that we change things is we have to get back to civility. We have to be the ones that say, you know, I'm not going to be the keyboard warrior on the Facebook tonight. I'm not going to. We say things that we never would have said in person. We need to turn off all those social media things. we got to get back to our families, turn off that national rhetoric and get back to reading the Tulsa World or the Oklahoman over your cup of coffee in the morning and listening to your local news. That's what really affects Oklahoma. You know, I had a, a person I'd known for years that truly was scared to death after the Black Lives Matter thing that Antifa was coming to burn down Mustang. Well, as I tried to explain, there really isn't even a definition of what Antifa is, and I think Mustang's safe. But this woman was living in fear. I mean, true fear that she had been shown from that. That's sad. And that's not how she should spend her last few years on this earth when really, if you looked around, nothing's changed in Mustang, Oklahoma, which is where I live, by the way. But I, uh, I, I, we've got to get away from the fear. Oh, I, and I'm feeling that in Tulsa. I mean, the way Tulsa public schools is just demonized. I mean, I, and I'm from rural Oklahoma. I'm like, that is not the reality of what is going on. And so, and I, and I do think we have to remember we're all Oklahomans trying to get toward the same thing and those divides. And and I, I agree. I mean, if we can have more civility, I think we'll get more people running. Right. I know you probably know good people too. They're like, why would I put myself through that? Absolutely. And I say all the time, if it was starting now, I'd say, oh, no, why am I going to do that? But unfortunately, I'm already here and I do love what I'm doing at the Labor Department and all that. But I will tell you that it's easier now that I'm a quarter of a mile from the Capitol and I can see it out of my window than when I was in the building because it's just a tempest of a swirling anger. Uh, now, I do want to say real quickly that not every legislator is that way. We have a lot of really good legislators that really do roll up their sleeves in their offices and get good work done. And they're not the media hogs. They're not the ones that talk about it. So don't hear me in both parties. We've got great people, but we are living in a time where it's hard for leadership not to acquiesce to what the, what the fringe wants. Right. Well, I appreciate you uh, speaking out for the middle. I mean, I really do because I just, to me, I feel like the middle is what's being ignored, but you know, uh, and I'll want to have you back on and we'll talk so we can talk more about workforce issues because that's, a, you know, especially when the session gets going, but I just want to give you the last word. I mean, is there anything you want to leave our readers, viewers with, um, the last thing I would say is know who your legislator is. And, and especially if you live somewhere like you do in Tulsa, and there's so many dividing lines on neighborhoods, and then we just had redistricting. So you can very easily pull up Oklahoma State Senate, Oklahoma House Representatives, the drop-down bar, find my legislator. Put in your address, 10 seconds later, you'll know every one of yours. Get to know them. See how they vote. If you're happy with that, then help them get reelected. Have that relationship. Say that you were a, a, an RN and medical issues were coming up. If you've already reached out to meet your personal representative and senator, because they're going to listen more to their own constituent. And then you say, hey, do you remember we met at a, you know, this event? And it was so great to meet you. I really would like to talk to you about House Bill 3200. It affects my living. And I just, could you give me five minutes? You're going to get a response. People want to hear that. But we've checked out. That's, I would have 
the biggest issue bills come up and no comments. Or it would be one where I got 500 form letters that all look the same. That doesn't work either. It's the personal relationships and you don't have to be besties and hang out every minute, but you need to know who your representatives are and get to know them. And then advocate for what's important to you and back to the old civility thing, it, it only works if we're teaching the next generation. Teach your kids and grandkids to be civil and teach them to be critical thinkers on what they believe for media sources. Well, thank you so much, Commissioner. I have enjoyed this conversation. I encourage everyone to read her op-ed, think about it, and uh, I guess they can contact you if they have comments. Sounds great. So, and let them know that you're, of course, that everyone's your constituent now. Right. So, I get the whole state the whole state. So thank you so much. <laughs> I appreciate it. And I look forward to our next conversation. Same here. Thank you. Bye -bye.